This, uh, this past week, I have been thinking about thinking, thinking about um, how we learn and how we figure out what to focus on, what matters, and, and what doesn't. Um, I've been doing this for at least three reasons. First of all, I'd, I'd like to get better at it. I'd, I'd like to understand more clearly what matters. Uh, Knowing what counts and what doesn't doesn't guarantee that we'll focus on the right things, but we're unlikely to focus on the right things if we don't at least know what they are. Secondly, this whole idea of insight comes out of our text today, as we'll see in just a couple minutes. And thirdly, I was thinking about uh, thinking and insight because of a, a conference that I was at the first part of the week. I was at actually two events uh, one called Praxis Labs and the other called Q. Praxis Labs, I, I was at this last year and shared a little bit about being part of a group that uh, listens to uh, pitches by young social entrepreneurs who have for-profit or not-for-profit ventures that they are putting forward to try and uh, address significant problems um, in this country or around the world. And we narrowed that group of 12 down to three and sent them on to the next event, uh, Q, uh, which is uh, Ideas for the Common Good. This is a bit like uh, the TED lectures for evangelicals. If you're familiar with that, just a whole bunch of different people speaking on a whole bunch of different topics. And the presentations were three minutes long or nine minutes long. Some of them, a few of them were 18 minutes long. So it's just rapid fire on these big ideas or at least some would say big ideas of the day. So Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, laid out a, a plan to eliminate extreme poverty in the world in the next 10 years. Uh, Mark Barnett, the producer of Survivor and The Apprentice and... Uh, other TV shows, the, most recently the Bible uh, series that was on. He talked about uh, reality TV and how it works and how it sometimes doesn't work. Uh, there were several presentations on sex trafficking, which is uh, reported to be the fastest growing crime in this country and around the world. 100,000 girls, and they are girls, the average age of being um, forced into the, the sex trade in this country is 11. Uh, 100,000 girls are forced into this every year in this country. Um, there was conversations about North Korea and a, uh, Christians who are part of a 3,500-mile modern-day underground railroad leading North Koreans through China to freedom. Uh, there was a political scientist who is focused on the end of civilizations, which he says always follow uh, periods of sexual confusion and crushing debt, uh, talking about how long he thinks we have in the West. Uh, there was a, a presentation on the history of female swimsuits, uh, coupled with neurological imaging of the male mind. Uh, responding to the evolution of female swimsuits. 
there was, uh, I mean, we had lectures and presentations on street art and on capitalism, and I mean, the topics just went in every direction. I came home um, uh, exhilarated. I came home exhausted. I came home a little bit um, unsettled, discouraged on the one hand, because the problems, the reports of problems from people who are up close to them suggest that they are almost always uh, bigger and uglier and more vexing than I would have perhaps described them as being. Uh, Encouraged because there are many uh, bright, passionate, uh, Christ-loving, young, uh, capable leaders who are focused on these issues. And that was very encouraging. It was also, uh, full disclosure, a little bit uh, discouraging in the sense that I frequently found myself looking at these folks and saying, well, I, I want to do that. Uh, I want to I I be that person. I want, I want to be the one that thought of that. Why didn't I think of that? Why did they get to think of that and I didn't think of that? I'm well aware that comparisons are uh, fatally flawed exercises. First of all, we don't really understand what's going on in the, the person's life. It's always done from a distance. And this would be reinforced by uh, Jason Russell, who was there. Uh, Jason Russell started Invisible Children. His, his focus, passion for the last decade has been to try and stop and then bring to justice uh, Coney, this uh, this. Uh, warlord in Uganda who is now, according to the UN, guilty of more crimes against humanity than any other living person. Uh, and he works on this passionately for a number of years and then produced a video that was released maybe 18 months ago. And the video went viral, 100 million downloads in six days. Uh, it's sort of nothing like it has happened, but attached to that story was the suggestion that he was not uh, altogether uh, being financially honest with the program that he was running, which is not true. I mean, but you can't unhitch that story in that news cycle. And it brought him uh, to utter despair. And six days uh, after it was released, just as the news was coming out, he was um, arrested, being uh, deranged, walking naked down the streets of San Diego. So he was there, and he said, um, I'm doing better. I can't tell you that I'm sane. Uh, I can promise to keep my clothes on during the course of my presentation. Um, and I thought, okay, yeah, you know, I've had bad days and weeks. and <laughs> Times when I'm tempted to quit or just get in a sailboat and sail somewhere, anywhere, but I've, you know, not taken my clothes off and walked down the middle of the street, so I don't want to be him. Um, comparisons are a, a flawed drill. We, we are selective, right? We don't want Bill Gates' personality. We want his money. We don't want Stephen Hawking's athletic ability. We want his IQ, right? We sort of, we can feel good about or bad about ourselves based on how we frame the comparison. So I, I get all of that. But I was, um, I was 
at least discouraged enough or troubled enough to say, so how do I think about things and how might I see things more clearly, see things that matter more clearly and be able to be uh, a greater part of the solutions that uh, are being brought to bear. And that just blends itself right into the text today uh, out of Luke chapter 2. So if you want to turn there, I invite you to do that. And as you are turning there, let me remind you that last week we looked at the announcement made by the angel to the poor, despised, forgotten, overlooked shepherds. They were the first to hear that the Savior had been born, and it wasn't just one angel. He had back up this whole heavenly choir, uh, sort of thunders out this, the, the praise to God that the Messiah has shown up. And then I argued at some length that Luke is writing history. He's making a report about real events and real people, and we need to understand that it's framed that way. Christ claims to be God. He makes that claim. His followers understand him to claim to be God. His enemies are against him for claiming to be God. So we need to understand either he is or he isn't. Right? We need to honor the way this argument gets formulated. And it's clear he does not leave open the option that he's just a great teacher or simply a moral reformer. The early church from the very first days said, Audusat homo malus, God or a bad man. Those are our options. Well, today we pick up as Mary and Joseph and Jesus, <clears throat> just a month and a half old, make the trip uh, into Jerusalem for a purification ritual for Mary after the birth of her first son and for the dedication of Jesus at the temple. Uh, They are doing this in compliance with Old Testament law. Remember, God through Moses gave us the law. It started with ten commandments, but there are actually 600 different rules that you are supposed to follow according to the Old Testament. They divide under moral, civil, and ceremonial headings. We don't pay any attention to the civil law of the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us today. We're not first century Jews living in a theocracy. We are living in the 21st century. Most of us are citizens of the United States of America. Others are citizens of other countries. Every country, every state has their own civil law that we now follow. Additionally, we don't pay attention to the ceremonial law. We're not not bound by that. We don't read through the book of Leviticus for guidelines about the sacrifices that we're supposed to make when our first son is born. Because Christ's death put an end to all that. There is a need for no more sacrifices. That whole system was brought to an end by his death on the cross as the final sacrifice. So the ceremonial aspects of the law we don't pay attention to. We do pay attention to the moral law. And we do this in part because life works better if we follow God's instructions here. 
The moral law flows out of his nature, his character, his righteousness. He's the creator. He set up how the world works. It works much better if we follow those directions. Our life works better if we follow the moral law. We also look to the moral law because it is the objective standard that helps us understand that we fall short and need a savior. Comparison doesn't work, right? We can, we can feel good or bad about ourselves based on how we frame it. There is an objective standard of God's requirements, and that is found in the moral law. And when we look at it, we discover we fall short. We need help. And uh, so we're living uh, on a different side of the, of the big divide from Mary and Joseph. Galatians 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent his son, who was born of a woman, born under the law. Right? And he satisfied the law so that we could be adopted into the family of God. Uh, that's not the case for them at this point. They need to keep the law, so they are traveling to the temple in order to fulfill the two requirements. Leviticus 12 required a woman uh, to go through a purification rite 40 days after the birth of her first son. And Numbers 18 required the, the first son to be dedicated to the Lord. So they are making the trip to Jerusalem to that end. And we're going to pick up there, Luke chapter 2. I am reading beginning with verse 22. When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Actually, what the law requires for a firstborn son is a lamb, but there is a provision made if the family is too poor to afford a lamb, they can offer to um, birds instead. So Jesus, the creator of everything everywhere, uh, is born into an under-resourced family. They are poor. Not destitute. His father has a job. Not starving, but uh, poor. And I said last night, the Greek text makes it quite clear that as a child, Jesus did not have an iPhone. Um, hard to know how he survived, but apparently he did. Reading on. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is Christ. He was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for the hope of the Jewish nation. He was waiting for God's promise to send a rescuer uh, to be fulfilled. So <clears throat> there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Uh, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Okay? So he's been promised that he will not die until he has a chance to see the Savior. He is promised this by the Holy Spirit. 
For the record, he is not, Simeon is not a priest. He is going to be at the temple because he is being led by the Spirit of God. He He is following God. He has a close relationship with God. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So Simeon, led by the Spirit of God, comes into the temple. He sees Mary and Joseph carrying the baby Jesus, walking in, and he approaches them and he says, I'm ready now to die. I have seen the salvation that you promised. This is the fourth poem, or we sometimes refer to it as the fourth song in the early chapters of Luke. The first one was when Mary gave a response after she met with Elizabeth, and Zechariah uh, gives this famous speech after he gets his voice back, after John the Baptist has been named. The third is what the angels sang to the shepherds, and then this is the fourth, Simeon's response. Most of these, the three of them, have Latin phrases. It's Mary's Magnificat, it's Zechariah's Benedictus. This is technically referred to as the Nunc Dimittis, which all of these come from the first words of these, these poems in Latin. And Nunc Dimittis means now dismiss, right? I'm ready to die. I'm ready to go. Uh, these are not songs in the sense that they were sung initially. They're called songs because the early church put them to song and sang them. And they became uh, a part of the ongoing pattern of Christ followers. The Nunc Dimittis, starting in the 4th century, was something that the church wanted every Christian to pray every day. And it wasn't just that it wasn't just that it, there was music with this. It wasn't just that it was part of the, the liturgy of the church. It was also a, a subject, a frequent subject of art. So we, we have a number of different uh, pieces of art here. This first one is uh, is something that was painted by Rembrandt. Uh, the, it shows shows Simeon holding the baby and Anna standing. I'll talk about her in a second. The, the next one is uh, from one of uh, Rembrandt's students, uh, another Dutch painter. Uh, a third is a sketch that was done by Rembrandt. Fourth is uh, an icon from uh, the fourth century. And we have, lo- there's, there's hundreds of paintings. There's lots and lots of, of artwork. If you go to churches today that have stained glass, you will often see that this, called the presentation of the, at the temple, you'll see this scene with Simeon uh, sort of speaking over Christ, talking to Mary and Joseph. You might ask, <laughs> why? Uh, what's the big deal here? What, why, why this? Why does this get so much attention? 
art and music and liturgy? What, what's the focus here? Well, it's not insignificant that here Simeon talks about Christ being a light of revelation for the Gentiles. Because that's a little surprising. That's not the way the Jews were thinking at this point. But the big deal here, the reason this gets so much attention is because Simeon appears to be the first person to really understand who Jesus is. He gets it. Even more than Mary. Mary was the first to hear. The angel came to her. But Mary will frequently ponder the things that Christ says. She will be perplexed. She'll be surprised by some of the things that Jesus is going to do. It takes her a while uh, to really understand who her son is. And Joseph, the, the same way, it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't appear as though he fully understands who his adopted son is. He knows he's special. But it is, it is these two uh, witnesses in the temple who get it. Um, a couple years ago I saw a cartoon and it, it had a... It had a a donkey, and on the donkey was a woman, and she was walking away. There's a man standing next to her, and there's a, there's a bumper sticker on the donkey. And instead of it saying, our son uh, is an honor student, you know, at Ridgewood uh, School, it said, our son is God. Uh, if Mary ever put that bumper sticker on her car, she did not have that on her car at this particular moment. Um, but Simeon got it. And he's not done. He turns to her now and he says something else. The, the child's father and mother marveled, I'm in verse 33, the child's mother and father marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And falling means the collapse. Rising is the anastasis. It's the Greek word for resurrection. This child is destined to cause the collapse and the resurrection of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now, this idea that hearts are going to be revealed is not uh, necessarily great news. Perhaps you are different than I am, but if I thought that people were going to know all of my thoughts, my heart, um, that would not be good news, right? People would be surprised at some of the dark, selfish, you know, vengeful thoughts and other thoughts that go through my mind. Um, So the idea that Christ is going to expose the hearts of people is not good news. It's not as dark as the next thing that he says when he says to Mary, and a sword, and the word that's used here is a a particularly lethal kind of, of weapon, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is not what a mother wants to hear, right? Um, This is not uh, easy news to hear. Essentially, she's being told by this this prophetic statement, your son uh, has an appointed destiny. He will grow up in the center of great controversy and strife, 
and, uh, and your own heart will be broken. Then there's another person who weighs in. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So Simeon is not often at the temple. He's led by the Holy Spirit to be there. He sees Christ, and his first response is, I'm ready to go, right? I don't, I don't need to live another day. Thank you for allowing me to see this. I'm ready to die. Anna is at the temple almost all the time, worshiping, fasting, praying, seeking God, caring for people. Her response is very different. When she sees Christ, she immediately starts turning to everyone around her and pointing to him, trying to get them to understand who Jesus is. Verse 39 says, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Well, there are a few things... um, to see here. There are a few insights uh, to be had. That's what we're after. How do we understand what matters more? How do we have clarity so we can live lives more effectively? I would just point to a couple things initially. Uh, It's worth noting that Mary and Joseph are doing all the right things. Right? They, they, are, they make the long trip to Jerusalem for the purification rites for her, for the dedication of their son. Not everybody does, right? but they do. Five times Luke will say that they're doing the right thing. And uh, this is instructive. First of all, we don't have many insights to what Christ's childhood is going to be like. So any peak into that is helpful. Uh, We know that he is going to live a perfect life. We know that he's going to fulfill the law, and that's how he's going to be able to be our Savior uh, and to give us his credit. So we know that, but it's just interesting to see he's going to be raised in a home where Mary and Joseph are going to do everything that is expected of them to follow God. And there's clearly some, uh, some insights for parents to be had here. Right, that they bring their child to the temple, right? They point him to God. Occasionally I hear people say, you know, we're, we're going to give our, you know, allow our children to make their own decisions about religion and God. Okay, well, no, uh, you're not, uh, and it's a bad idea to even think that way. You know, you are either leading them toward God or you're not. Not leading them towards God is a path. It's just the wrong path. And we're generally not passive in any, uh, any area that we think matters. Right? You're not passive in terms of their nutrition. You're not passive in terms of what they watch or what websites they go to or whether they go to class or any of that. You have opinions and you have expectations. 
So I would simply remind parents that the spiritual formation and well-being of our children is one of our chief responsibilities and opportunities. Um, Another thing that, another insight to be had here is that um, we often just don't see everything that's going on unless we really look. This is an amazing moment. I, I suspect that when we get to heaven, we will be able to replay some of the great moments of all time. We're going to celebrate Christ, and to some extent, we're going to celebrate what he did. We're going to more fully understand what he did. It's ama- his life is amazing, and this is one of the amazing moments. It's just that most people didn't see it. They didn't, they didn't understand what was going on. What we have here is not just a, that this is the first time that Christ is brought to the temple, and there will be many times, and the temple is very important to Luke, and so we're going to see the temple throughout the Gospel of Luke. And it's not just that it's a sacred moment because we have this young couple walking up the steps of the temple with their child in their arms, and they're going to dedicate him, and Mary is, for purification rites, would be wearing white, and so it's a, you know, it, it's a significant moment in that sense. This is a significant moment at a whole bunch of other levels. So just reflect for a minute. The temple, on the one hand, is a building, a big building. It took again, tens of thousands of men close to 60 years to build it. It's huge. And it's, it's central to the life of Israel, and it's understood to be the nexus point of heaven and earth, right? The place where God manifests his presence in a, in a particular way. No building can contain God, but God promised the Jews that he was going to reside in the Holy of Holies. And if you wanted to meet with God, you would go to the temple. If you wanted to pray to God and get as close to God as you could, you went to the temple. If you go to, if you go to Israel today, if you go to Jerusalem, Right, the, the Orthodox Jews are, are along the, the West Wall. Right? They're, they're touching, they're kissing, they're facing the wall, which is simply the, the outer perimeter of the courtyard. It's not the temple, that's not what those stones are, but it's as close as they can get to where they believed was the center of, of everything, the center of heaven and earth, the place where you went to meet with God. And so to this day, they go there. The temple, on the one hand, is that building. On another hand, the temple is the place where God and man meet, and that is now Jesus. He's the new temple. Mary is walking up the steps of the temple, holding the temple's replacement, the new temple, the new place that you go to meet with God, the new place you go to worship, right? The new place you you go to pray. We pray in the name of Jesus. I didn't leave any prayers in the temple wall. 
Right? Lots of people do that. I didn't leave any prayers in the temple wall because it's not the te- it's, we, we don't try to get close to God in a physical sense. We approach God through Christ. At his death, the temple veil was ripped in half from the top down, exposing the Holy of Holies because there's a new, it's a whole new day. And Mary is walking up the steps of the temple, holding the temple. And additionally, what happens at the temple? Well, sacrifices happen at the temple. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the ultimate sacrifice. His death will put an end to the entire sacrificial system. She is carrying in her hands the ultimate sacrifice. Who works at the temple? The priests, including the high priest. Jesus is the new high priest. He is the one through whom we go to get to the Father. I mean, this, this goes for a while when you step back and start to think about what's going on. The, the stones, right, there's huge, even to this day, we see these huge stones for the outer wall. Herod had imprinted every stone that would be part of that structure with his name. <laughs> so he's building this temple. He wants his name on every stone. Well, Jesus is the new cornerstone. Right? He replaces all those stones. It's everything about what's going on there is going to radically change. But only two people see it. Right? What's going on is profound. The backstory is profound. This is an epic moment in history, but only two people see it. Which leads us to this question about insight. How do we, how do we see these things? How, do we, how, how could we be one of the two? Well, if this was a general talk about insight, right, about how you see ideas, how you make connections, how you do all that, I, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to Stay with it because I'd remind you that these kinds of things tend to be breakthroughs. It's, you know, we learn not in a straight linear fashion. It's fits and starts. I mean, you see that if you teach a child how to, how to read, right? They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. And then they get it, right? Or you've had that experience with computer software, a new software program. You don't get it. You don't get it. You think your life is over because you can't get it. And then you get it. Right, there's a breakthrough. So I mean, we can talk about that. We can talk about, you know, hanging out with interesting people and reading and studying and reflective and creative exercises to be able to make connections and see things others don't. If this was a talk on, on simply being more the kind of person that we need to be to follow Christ, then I would go down a different path. I'd, talk, I'd lay in front of you the things I keep going back to all the time. Right? Worship, connect, grow, serve, and share. There is, a, there is a path that we are to follow. But there's something very specific that is happening here, and it's worth noting. Simeon and Anna have insight from God. Simeon is being led by the Holy Spirit. He has learned to listen 
to the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. When, when Jesus will ask the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they go, oh, some say, you know, you're John, you're John the Baptist. And others say, you know, you're Elijah. And others say this. Who do you say I am? And, and Peter steps forward and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The next thing Jesus says, in essence, is, Peter, you're right, so I know you had help. Right? You did not figure this out on your own. God told you. At one level, right, the insight we're ultimately after, greater clarity about Christ is a gift that God gives us through the illumination of his spirit as we study, as we pray, as we seek after God. And so we need to pray and ask God to show us things that we just don't get any other way. It is gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see Luke hit that theme throughout this work. His investigation is going to show that the Spirit of God is moving behind the scenes in all kinds of ways. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, and we thank you for your Spirit. And we acknowledge that, um, like many, even Mary and Joseph at this point, uh, our understanding of Jesus is quite limited. So we pray for greater insight. We pray for greater clarity about who he is and what he has done. Even as we pray for greater clarity about who we are, you would reveal our hearts to us, and you would reveal how we should think and how we should act and what matters and what doesn't. We want to live lives um, that count and matter and that we do what you would ask us to do, and so we acknowledge that we need your help. So, Spirit of God, guide us, direct us, illuminate us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.